0: Major. And I'm Mark Howard. And this is Talking Points. Continuing right on through this quarter of the book of Psalms, we're now on lesson nine <laughs> Blessed is He Who Comes in the Name of the Lord. Uh, Pastor Howard, this <clears throat> week is all about those messianic prophecies that anticipate the coming of Jesus. And you yes. put our talking points together. And if I don't want to let too much out of the bag, but there's a lot of meat and substance and Bible material in this lesson. There,
1: There is, indeed. And so I think maybe uh, it would be helpful to start off with, occasionally we get comments from, because uh, Cameron and I will often make comments about the lesson. Things we would do differently, or mm-hmm. last quarter, quite a bit, we talked about the challenge and the challenge up, and we talked <laughs> about the challenge up, up. And some people had perceived that as disrespectful. So I think uh, we ought to take the... Time here to say first of all, the very fact that we do a program on the quarterly says we appreciate <laughs> the Seventh Day Adventist Adult Bible Study Guide. Yes, we use it, and uh, and and we we uh, very much appreciate it, and encourage you to be using it as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are things I think one of the things that that um, I we I know we've said before is talking points was primarily created as a tool for teachers. And I know as one who's taught lessons that sometimes you can be, you can feel like, how constrained am I to the quarterly and its line of thinking, et etc. And so I think we've, in, in attempting maybe to give teachers flexibility is to say, look, if you think a little bit outside of this box, you can run with that. And maybe that's been perceived as being down on the quarterly or the contributors. So if it has been, that's not at all our intention, uh, our intention is really just to try to empower teachers, uh, and we've said this as well with our own talking points. We usually will come out with an outline, but we've always said, if you come up with an entirely different train of thought, go with it. You're the teacher of the lesson.
0: Well, not only that, but I, I view talking points not only as a tool for the teachers, praise the Lord, and I hope it's used... Useful and helpful, but yeah. also for even members to start. How do we approach the Bible the, as the as the lesson is doing? It's, yeah, it's best not off limit it. if you're not a teacher, right? But the point is that this is a tremendous resource for teachers and for students alike, of course. Mm. But it is not an inspired document. Whereas the Bible, the Spirit of Prophecy, that's our ultimate goal. In fact, yeah, right. in the title, it's the the Bible Study Guide, and so what we want to do is, we without ever denigrating or disrespecting the lesson or the people who who put it together is to point people, fold people back to what is it really trying to convey from the Scripture? What is the Bible basis of this? And have great, dynamic, rich Sabbath school experiences in every local church. So, I mean, I'd love to see visitors come into the Seventh-day Adventist Church and know they're going to get a Bible study experience in that Sabbath school class. Absolutely. And that's, we want the whole... A rising tide to lift all the boats of Sabbath school. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. And, and there have been occasions where I or you or both of us, depending on the lesson, have disagreed with something in the quarterly. And just to be fair, they would probably disagree with me. But <laughs> most hard. of the time, yeah. the challenge I run into is the, the volume, the amount of mm. stuff to try to cover. For example, we're in the Psalms. There's 150 Psalms. I went through this lesson and I started writing it down and I I lost track. I wish I actually had the list in front of me. But if you would just count, like every quarter, every lesson rather, says read for this week's study and gives a number of texts. Well, I wrote those down and then I went through in the body and there are a bunch of other passages in the body of the lessons. And just with Sabbath afternoon and Sunday, I must have come up with 25 passages. And for... Most of our Sabbath schools, you're looking at a 40 to 45 minute window. Some of you guys are like 40 to 40. I only wish I had that much. And then some people are like, well, we got to ever fill that. Time. Most people are going to have to land within that time period. And then if you're trying to engage the class and have discussion, you've got at least 10 minutes. that's going to be taken up from that. So it becomes a whole lot to cover. Mm-hmm. And that's where sometimes the challenge can be. Wow. There's how are we going to navigate through this lesson? So this week is no exception to that. Um, in this particular week's uh, quarterly, Cameron, my, I summarized it by saying this week's lesson explores various aspects of the Messiah's ministry as foretold in the book of Psalms. Mm-hmm. And there's so much that could be said on that. Now, the, the quarterly chooses to highlight Sunday afternoon the, the shepherd aspect of the Messiah's ministry the divine self-sacrificing shepherd, and it goes into those psalms to talk about the Lord being like a mm-hmm, shepherd. Mm-hmm. Okay, Monday's lesson talks about the suffering of the Messiah, as foretold in the psalm, how he would suffer, how the, the people would shake their heads at him and shoot out the lip, and these kind of mm-hmm. you know, what he would endure on the cross in the psalms. Tuesday's lesson talks about the Davidic covenant uh, and God being faithful to that, and we'll talk about that a little bit more. Wednesday's lesson talks about uh, the title is Eternal King of Unrivaled Power, and it goes over um, the Psalms pointing to the reign of the Messiah as king and delves a little bit into what it's going to get into on Thursday, which is the, the Melchizedekian priesthood, mm-hmm. which Melchizedek was a king and a priest, so it okay. bridges the two. So Thursday talks about the eternal, eternal priest in the order of Melchizedek. Well, every one of those days could make a whole lesson. Yeah
0: like a week's worth of study. So yeah.
1: the option as I was thinking about how to cover this week's lesson I thought, well, if I were teaching the lesson, I might I might walk through just like we looked at and, and say, you know, Sunday's lesson talks about the Messiah as a shepherd and spend 7 minutes on that. Mm-hmm. And then 7 minutes on Monday and 7 minutes on Tuesday and then what about the suffering of the Messiah? What about So you could walk through it that way and kind of you're basically bullet pointing what I chose to do, because there are so many passages in this week's study, is to draw out a couple of them that we would really delve into. So that's what I ended up doing. Okay. And I, so I've taken all my talking points from Tuesday and Wednesday. So I have three talking points, and they're all Tuesday, Wednesday.
0: Excellent. And that's going to be where we're going to pick up. We need to actually have a word of prayer yes, before you. we get into the Bible. So I didn't know if you were... I just no, wanted no, to make no, sure I, before I, you launch into... Here we go. But... Well, your point is there's a bunch of different ways you could cover this vast amount of material, but yes. f- you're picking from Tuesday, basically, and Wednesday is the core of this study that you're going to lead us into yes. here in a minute. All right. Well, let me give a word of prayer, then and pass then it we'll... back over to you and walk through it. Let's so. do that. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the richness of the book of Psalms, of course, all of scripture. But as we look at these Psalms in particular that point to Christ and the various aspects of his, of his leadership, of his, his sovereignty, of his rule. Lord, help us to see it more clearly than we ever have before, and help us be more dedicated to him as we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Okay. Amen. So what we're talking about is, what I focused in on Tuesday and Wednesday, is the the Davidic covenant and the kingly reign of Christ. And you'll okay. see how those, if you don't know what a Davidic covenant is, you will in a minute. And so my talking points, talking point number one is the Davidic covenant foreshadows Messiah's reign. Okay. Number two, God testifies to his commitment to David. And number three, God fulfills the Davidic covenant in Christ. Okay. So we're going to start out by looking at the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel 7, 15 to 16. And this is something I caught. Tuesday's lesson cites 1 Samuel. That's a typo. It should be 2 Samuel 7, verses 5 to 16. And I'm going to have you... uh, read through that for
0: us, Cameron. All of those verses 5 through 16? We may split it up a little bit. Let's just uh, start with we 5. As yeah. All right. Second Samuel chapter 7, starting with verse 5. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build a house for me to dwell in? For I have not dwelt in a house since the time that I brought the children of Israel up from Egypt, even to this day, but have been moved, but have moved about in a tent and in a tabernacle. Wherever I have moved about with all the children of Israel, have I ever spoken a word to any one from the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore thus shall you say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people over Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And have made you a great name, like the name of the great men who are on the earth. Why don't you pick up then in verse 12 to 16. Okay. And get
1: the gist of it there.
0: When your days are fulfilled with, and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and shall you and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, from whom I removed from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. Okay, so here basically is a covenant
1: God makes with David, i.e. a Davidic covenant, a promise to David that he's going to set David on the throne. And then after David, he's going to put uh, people from the lineage of David on that throne. He will mm-hmm. always have a descendant of David on the throne. That's his promise to David. Now, um, the, the Psalms actually pick this up in verse in Psalm 89. And there's some interesting uh, uh, sub-points here. I'm actually going to move past that. Let's go to okay. Psalm 89. And you see that the psalmist, in this particular case, it's Ethan the Ezraite. Sure. <laughs> and uh, and he picks up on this idea of the Davidic covenant. You'll see that if you look at, uh, start out in Psalm 89, verses
0: 3 and 4. 3 and 4. Yep. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to my servant David, your seed I will establish forever and build up your throne to all generations.
1: Okay, you see there now he's picking up on this covenant he made with his servant David. Now, mm-hmm. if you go ahead to verses 20... Uh, Why don't you read 20 to 25, and I'll read 26 to 29.
0: Okay. Verse 20 and on says, I have found my servant David. With my holy oil I have anointed him, with whom my hand shall be established. Also my arm shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him, nor the son of wickedness afflict him. I will beat down his foes before his face and plague those who hate him. But my faithfulness and my mercy shall be with him, and in my name his horn shall be exalted." Also, I will set his hand over the sea, and his right hand over the rivers.
1: Okay, so you you see this? He's just extending this description of David. He calls David his anointed. He's a, he's his king. He's anointed him. He sat, and of course, he sent Samuel to anoint David as mm-hmm. king. And David's going to reign on the throne, and his enemies are God's going to fight for him and and defeat his eminent enemies and these kinds of things. Now. As you as we continue on there in verse 26, you start to see some, some other language here that has some messianic elements in it. Uh, it says in verse 26, "...he shall cry to me, you are my father, my God, the rock of my salvation. Also, I will make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My mercy I will keep for him forever, and my covenant shall stand firm with him. His seed also I will make to endure forever." and his throne as the days of heaven. So here, God refers to, in the context, to David now as David calls him father, he is my firstborn, Mm. and his kingdom is going to be as the days of heaven. It's going to Mm. be an eternal kingdom. Mm -hmm. So he's still talking to David, but he's making these allusions to something greater.
0: Exactly, because I'm just already thinking about, he's already prophesied in 2 Samuel about how after you rest and go to your grave, others will follow, but now he's talking about expanding that you're the firstborn you're going to be forever it's 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 getting beyond the literal david historical david
1: yes and and, and yet i don't want to lose that the the lesson makes a great point on the bottom of the last paragraph of tuesday mm-hmm. because there are people who read we see this this expression repeated in the new testament borrowed from actually taken from here this this idea of the firstborn And there are people, and perhaps you've encountered a a so-called Christian group, that says, oh, Jesus is the firstborn. He's a God, but he's not eternal. He was born at some point in time Mm. because the Bible says he was born. Well, it's interesting here. In fact, why don't you read, you know, this passage is calling David the firstborn, and it's messianic in nature, but why don't you read what the quarterly says there at the bottom of
0: Tuesday? It says, clearly the title firstborn does not express David's biological status, because David was the eighth child of his parents. And it's the same with mm-hmm. Jesus, right? Not that Jesus was the eighth child of right. his parents, but, but that about the firstborn. It goes on to say, this title signifies his special honor and authority, as referenced in Colossians one, sixteen, twenty to twenty-two. God made Jesus the supreme king over the whole world when he raised Jesus. From the dead. Okay. Now we'll see more of that, but the idea of the firstborn—they're
1: just making the point that in the Scripture it uses the word sometimes to talk about the preeminence a person has uh, versus right. versus the fat versus any reference to
0: birth. Exactly.
1: And so in this particular case, it's, it, it makes that valid point that David wasn't a firstborn in his family. The, the word is being used in a different way, mm-hmm. and we see the messianic overtones.
0: Yes, we which yeah, we're going to
1: see more clearly. So now. God continues, uh, this takes us actually into our second talking point, which is within this context of Psalm, uh, Psalm 89. Continuing in Psalm 89, the psalmist begins to express concern over the unfaithfulness of David's descendants, right? God mm. says, you're going to have descendants to sit on the throne. But what happens if, and so if you read verse uh, chapter 89, verses what? 30, 30 to, to 32.
0: Yeah. If his sons forsake my law and do not walk in my judgments... If they break my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. Uh, Yeah, so anyway, that's that's the end of that (coughs) passage. But it's looking ahead to, I'm going to establish it forever, but if... That doesn't give them right to just be awful and whatever. It's not unconditional. He's like there are conditions, and they need to be faithful to my law. Right, or I'm going
1: to punish them. And so then the question is, well, does that break the Davidic covenant? Does that mean nobody from David's line is going to sit on the door? What does that mean? And if we continue reading now in verses 33 to 37, you see that the Lord, and this is where talking point two comes in, God testifies to his commitment to David. Notice what Mm -hmm. he says.
0: Nevertheless, my loving kindness I will not utterly take from him, nor allow my faithfulness to fail. My covenant I will not break, nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His seed shall endure forever, and his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever like the moon, even like the faithful witness in the sky. Just a a Mm. fascinating passage. So you've got, you know, God's
1: made this promise to David. He's going to sit on the throne. He's always going to have a person to sit on the throne. But if he's unfaithful, God's going to punish him. And yet... It's not going to break that covenant, mm. even if even if from David's side, from the human side, it's broken. From the divine side, I'm not going to lie to David. I made an oath, and I'm going to make, mm-hmm. I'm going to carry this through. And and we could even ask, well, how's he going to how's he going to carry through the covenant? Because the covenant does take two people, and somebody's got to be faithful on the other <laughs> side of it. And this is where we get into that messianic aspect of it, as we're going to see now. Uh, talking point number three, two was brief. It's just God confirming that I'm going to stay faithful to this covenant with David. Well, how's he going to do it? Talking point number three, God fulfills the Davidic covenant in Christ. Now, when we go to Psalm Mm 2,
0: we'll
1: look at Psalm 2 briefly here. Uh, Why don't don't let's read
0: verses um, 1 to 9. Yeah, there's so much in this passage. Yeah, there is. Psalm 2, starting with verse 1. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. Now,
1: now if we look at it so far, very clearly it could speak to David. David's probably the author of this psalm. If the nations Mm -hmm. fight against my people Israel, I've set my David, my anointed, on the throne, and he's Mm going to fight. But now we we start to see some other pieces uh, in the next few verses here. Mm -hmm.
0: Seven continues, I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. So now you have a little
1: bit of that language again of the only begotten son and this, this idea of the um, reigning over all the kingdoms of the Mm -hmm. earth. And Cameron, I couldn't help going through that. I couldn't help thinking of Daniel 2 where you have the prophecy of Daniel 2 that points to the coming of Christ, that stone cut out without hands, that strikes the image on its feet of iron and clay, clay, yeah. right? The potter's vessel smashing it and then raining over all the earth. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it just really struck me. I, I don't think you can avoid that, at least a little bit of similarity there with that coming, Christ coming into his eternal kingdom with this song.
0: Well, you're bringing up Daniel 2 in this imagery here, but you're going to see even... I don't want to teal too much, but I know as the prophecy unfolds, that becomes clearer and clearer that this is a reference to the the rule of Christ over those various kingdoms of the world that will culminate.
1: Well, in in, fact, yeah, let's go to Acts chapter 4 now. We've looked at some of this um, background in the Psalms. We see the messianic elements of it, and somebody could say, well, you're just jumping to conclusions. Well, let's go to Acts chapter 4. Now, a little bit of background on Acts 4. This is where... Peter and John heal the lame man. They're taken to task by the religious leaders. Mm -hmm. They're imprisoned, and then they're threatened. But they say, you know, is it better for us to obey God or men? you be the judge, right? And so they let them loose. And when they're let loose, they go back to the disciples. And this is what happens is they come back to the other disciples. They all begin to pray together.
0: Well, let me read starting with verse 23 here. And being let go, they went to their own companions. This is Acts 4. Acts 4, yes. And reported all the chief priests and elders that said to them, So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, "'Lord, you are God, who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said,' Why did the nations rage, and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth shook, took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus... Now
1: notice in verse 26, against his Christ, it was against the anointed, but he's quoting right where we just read in the Psalms. Right. And But that's what the word Christ means, is the anointed. So, right.
0: So he's making a direct application, and it's explicit in verse 27. For truly against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. So here's a direct connection
1: now. We see the messianic elements. but we, There's this promise to David, to David's descendants. You're going to sit on the throne. But we see the failures of David. How's this going to be completed? How's God going to accomplish it? Now we see Jesus, that the, the first... Intimation—not the first intimations—but these applications now of the old psalms, the messianic psalms, where Jesus is now coming in that that place on the throne of David to do what David and his descendants couldn't do. Well,
0: I couldn't help but notice that earlier in the same chapter, um, chapter four, verse eleven. When, well, in verse yes. 10, it says, let it be known to all to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which the builders rejected, which has become the chief cornerstone, nor is there salvation in any other. And he goes on mm-hmm. to talk about, so which, that's another quote from the Psalms. Jog your memory
1: <laughs> as the, that's the memory verse this week.
0: Amen. And that's Psalm 118. And so what I'm trying to draw out here is these these early church believers, mm. these apostles, weren't just saying, hey, Jesus is kind of like that poetry of the Psalms. They're saying, no, no, that is a prophecy of Jesus, and this is That's its right. fulfillment. Jesus is the, the culmination of these prophetic utterances from the Psalms. Well, it gets better.
1: We go to Acts 13, mm. and if we look at verses 21 to 23... Now the Apostle Paul is making application of some of these things we looked at.
0: Mm. Says here, And afterward they asked for a king, speaking of Israel's past. Mm -hmm. So God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for forty years. And when he would removed him, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. From this man's seed, according to the promise God raised up for Israel a savior, Jesus. Now,
1: this is powerful. Now, Paul is actually taking that Davidic covenant and saying, Mm -hmm. yeah, by the way, the descendants of David to be on the throne, those were not those kings of Judah. It was Christ. Yes. Like he he squarely puts it on like Jesus was the Mm -hmm. answer to the Davidic covenant. That's where it pointed to. And he goes on, interestingly, in verse 33, he says, God has, maybe verse 32 and 3, he says, and we declare... To you glad tidings, that promise which was made to the fathers, God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that he has raised up Jesus. Mm. As it is also written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Mm. Now he takes that begottenness Mm -hmm. and he applies it directly to the resurrection Mm -hmm. of jesus which is you'd think it'd be the incarnation of jesus today i today he says i've begotten you today you were born yeah but it wasn't the incarnation paul applies Mm -hmm. it here to the resurrection
0: yeah such i mean that point right there is enough to have plenty of conversation in sabbath school but well and and we're not trying to obviously i don't know what you're trying to do but i wouldn't add urge people to go off into that like that the echo chamber of opinion that could come out of that. But what a fascinating concept that he applies the, the resurrection of Jesus as the begotten of Christ.
1: Well, I want you just to go to Romans 1, mm-hmm. where the same the same apostle Paul then makes this, maybe adds a little clarity to this point.
0: Okay, what, what are we looking at uh, first? Romans chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. 3 and 4 says, Concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, And declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. So it wasn't that he wasn't the Son of God, but here, now now Paul,
1: it's it's that resurrection that gave validity to this, Mm. the personage of Jesus as the divine Son of God and the Mm. one coming in this Davidic line. Anyway, there's, like you said, there's lots of discussion there, but very clearly Jesus takes on that role of fulfilling the Davidic covenant. Yes. And so I want to jump now to the reign of Christ in fulfillment of the Davidic covenant in the book of Ezekiel. There's a passage in Ezekiel that kind of caps this whole thing and clarifies Jesus coming into that role on the throne of David to receive the eternal kingdom. And this is Ezekiel chapter 21, verses
0: 25 to 27. Twenty-one verses twenty-five to twenty-seven. Mm-hmm. Scripture reads, "Now to you, O profane, wicked prince of Israel, whose day has come, whose iniquity shall end." This is not referring to David, but one of right. his descendants, his biological specifically descendants. Zedekiah, which right. we'll see in a minute. But but let's keep that in mind. The question had already been raised. Well, what if they weren't faithful? Are right. you going to cut? And he said, like, "No, no I, there's going to be unfaithfulness, but watch mm-hmm. how I'm going to stay faithful." Anyway, now to you, O profane, wicked prince of Israel, whose day has come, whose iniquity whose iniquity shall end. Thus says the Lord God, remove the turban, take off the crown. Nothing shall remain the same. Exalt the humble and humble the exalted. Overthrown, overthrown, I will make it overthrown. It shall be no longer until he comes whose right it is, and I will give it to him.
1: Now he's talking about removing the turban and taking off the crown. He's talking about the throne. And when he says, "I shall, it shall be no longer, he's talking about the throne shall be no longer. I'm going to take the, the throne station. away from you, yes, yes. and I'm going to hold it until he come whose right it is. Now, the New King James says, overthrown, overthrown. The King James Version, I think, is more helpful here where mm-hmm. it says, God says, I will overturn, overturn, overturn it three times. And I've put in our notes, uh, I put it this way, Zedekiah was the one that this was spoken to. He was a vassal of Babylon placed there by Nebuchadnezzar. So Nebuchadnezzar was ruling in Babylon. The kingdom was to be overturned once from Babylon to Medo-Persia, again from Medo-Persia to Greece, a third time from Greece to Rome. Who was the next world ruler? Well, yeah. <laughs> <There> was, Rome <laughs> was divided, yeah. at which point world dominion would cease until Christ, whose right it is, takes the throne at his coming. Like, what an amazing prophecy. And Ellen White comments on this in Education, page 179, if you want to read that.
0: She writes, The final overthrow of all earthly dominions is plainly foretold in the word of truth. In the prophecy uttered when sentence from God was pronounced upon the last king of Israel is given the message. And she quotes from Ezekiel 21. verse. Right we just read. Right. The crown removed from Israel passed successively to the kings of Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. God says, quote, It shall be no more until he come whose right it is, and I will give it him. That time is at hand.
1: Absolutely. Incredible. So here you have... Christ fulfilling that Davidic promise. God is faithful. He will not lie to his servant David. Jesus comes and fulfills it on behalf of humanity, takes the eternal throne, and we reign with him.
0: It's magnificent. It is. It's incredible. And that's all from like one or two days lessons. I and mean, there's so much to say about Jesus it's in the book of Psalms. Just a couple
1: primary okay. Psalms we looked at. There are more Psalms that could have been looked so at. Many. just fantastic. Mm. Um, anyway, uh, so in conclusion, I took a statement from... Uh, Thoughts from Man of Blessings, page 108, says, "...the kingdom of God's grace is now being established as day-by-day hearts that have been full of sin and rebellion yield to the sovereignty of his love. But the full establishment of the kingdom of his glory, that is when he takes his throne, mm-hmm. will not take place until the second coming of Jesus to this world. But before that coming, Jesus said, "...this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations." His kingdom will not come until the good tidings of his grace have been carried to all the earth. Hence, as we give ourselves to God and win other souls to him, we hasten the coming of his kingdom. Only those who devote themselves to his service, saying, here am I, send me, they alone pray in sincerity, thy kingdom come. Oof. So let us be active in, in sincerely praying and working out those prayers. Thy kingdom come, we can, winning souls to Christ. And soon seeing Christ take that throne of David. Powerful.
0: Well, let's close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for all scripture. And we thank you particularly for these psalms that point to Christ, not only his incarnation and his resurrection, but his sovereign reign over all the world soon and very soon in even the kingdom of his glory. But right now in the time of his grace, help us to be ambassadors of him giving that message, that invitation, that gospel call to the world, and by your grace, hastening that coming of Jesus. For that we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.